Beyond the, Beyond the Headlines. This is World Insight. Hello and welcome to World Insight. I'm Gray. Biden's steamrose Democratic challenger, Dean Phillips, in the South Carolina primary, effectively enshrining Biden as the Democratic Party's nominee. Meanwhile, Trump holds a commanding lead over Republican challenger Nikki Haley in polls for South Carolina primary. Barring Trump being disqualified over legal battles, 2024 is shaping up to be a rematch of the 2020 election. This election may also hold the dubious honor of being the shortest competitive primary season since the year 1970s. Why has the U.S. democratic system given us the same choices two elections in a row? How will the 2024 election impact the world at large? Joining us on the latest discussion about the U.S. presidential election in Washington, D.C., Rick Dunham, director of the Global Business Journalism Program with Tsinghua University. In Shanghai, Joseph Gregory Mahoney, professor of East China Normal University. Both of them are originally coming from the U.S. And in Beijing, Huang Jing, director of the Institute of U.S. and Pacific Studies from Shanghai International University. Now, that is the topic of the year, the U.S. presidential election. It seems that the picture is becoming ever clearer, uh, likely to be a competition between the two men. It is. I mean, Donald Trump has cleared the Republican race. Um, he do, still has one opponent, but it's clear he's going to be the nominee. And mm. really, the only question is, in terms of other candidates, will any of the minor party candidates uh, be factors in the race? Or will this be a two-person race between the incumbent president and the previous president? There will will mm. the other other minor candidates be factors or will it be the two people uh, slugging it out? Yeah, All right. Professor Mahoney? Well, I agree with Rick. Uh, I think it's clear that uh, a third party candidate could uh, play a decisive role. But I think the other question, of course, is whether or not we'll actually see both of the candidates uh, get to the general election. Uh, there are age-related issues. I don't. I don't think that Biden is going to die, but but you know that's always a possibility. And, but also at the same time, you know, Trump is facing a number of uh, legal challenges that could derail him in some fundamental way. Uh, yes, I agree with the two previous panelists, but I just want to add one point. That is, there is an unprecedented phenomena in this election. That is, both establishment in, of Republicans and Democrats are not very enthusiastic about their candidate. The Republicans have, you know, tried everything possible to replace Donald Trump, failed. And Democrats so far, if you notice, CNN, New York Times, Boston Globe, LA Times, all those, you know, traditional Democratic uh, voice, you know, haven't issued any uh, knowledge. Well, they wouldn't, well, they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't claim themselves to be Democratic voices. They rather call themselves uh, so-called liberal voices. But anyway, I, I see your point. If you look at history, this should have been done a long time ago, but none of them has any, you know, editorials to endorse uh, Biden. That's yeah. really unprecedented. So, so South Carolina, uh, that's uh, one interesting question uh, still in front of us. Uh, Nikki Haley, uh, Donald Trump, uh, how, how is their story likely to unveil there, uh, Rick? Well, to me, the only question is whether Nikki Haley has enough support there uh, to tell us that Donald Trump has any weaknesses within the Republican Party. 
I don't think she has a chance to defeat him, even though it's her own home state, even though she's popular there. I mean, Donald Trump is just too popular. And South Carolina is a very conservative state. And and the I mean the base of the it's a it's a base Republican Party state. Right. Donald that that should be a Donald Trump state. So if mm. Nikki Haley comes close in South Carolina, it tells you there are a lot of Republicans who still are nervous about Donald Trump. But I mean in in the fall, Donald Trump's going to win South Carolina. Even those Republicans who are nervous about him will will unite and vote for him in South Carolina. Right. But if it's close in South Carolina. It tells you that some suburban Republicans in the in, in the Charleston area, in 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 in, in the Columbia area, are yeah. nervous, and that, that that's a sign that uh, he could have some trouble in other states uh, in the fall. Very interesting. A lot of signs to observe as we speak. On the other hand, for Biden, of course, the immigration policy is a big one, and we see some of the state leaders. Uh, starting from Texas, are having very different opinions and strong oppositions, uh, even actions. Professor Mahoney, your thoughts on that. What does that mean for Biden's uh, campaign? Well, if we're talking about uh, the immigration issue, we, we've seen some uh, movement in the Senate, but the House, which is controlled by Republicans, have said that they won't vote on it uh, because there's, there seems to be some concern that then uh, it'll be a bipartisan <laughs> working together and, and they want to paint this as, as largely a problem that, that needs to be hung on the on the Democrats and, and Biden especially. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't see any real uh, traction on uh, the immigration bill in the Senate. And therefore, I don't think the Biden administration will be able to do much more positive than, or, or negative than, than what it's already doing. So this is going to remain uh, an inflamed point going forward. I said as if the world said the live by the sword and the die by the sword, I said, immigrant issue would be a critical issue in this election. And I think the wind is not blowing for, for, for the favor of Joe Biden. I think he has a, he has a problem here because the popular opinion that uh, he, he fumbled on this one. The presidential election is being mentioned in the news program, but mainly also in the late night show, uh, meaning people are cracking jokes and people are enjoying the moment of cracking jokes against the, uh, the candidates or the issues uh, related to this uh, election. So, but what does this mean if we reflect upon it in a stretch of time, let's just say over the past decades? Uh, Rick, you, when you are watching, working in Washington as a correspondent, you covered different elections. Of course, then back in the 1980s, 90s, elections are very different from what it is today. And uh, so how do you see this election in a wider stretch of time? Well, I remember writing a story in the early 1990s, which uh, which had a theme that the worst thing in Washington was when you were the butt of jokes. I mean, that if people just were attacking you, it was okay. But when they were ridiculing you all the time, it was not a good thing. And the fact that a majority of people in the United States would rather have another choice uh, just tells you something. I mean, the fact mm-hmm. that late night comedians will make fun of both of them. Of course, they, they ridicule Donald Trump a lot more than they ridicule Joe Biden. But the fact is that both of them are fodder uh, for, mm. for people who want to make fun of them. And there are plenty of, plenty of reasons uh, to, to do that. I mean, mm. I, I think that the country is divided. And some of the humor is 
what's known as gallows humor. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's, 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 it's out of uh, unhappiness, but some of it is out of anger as well. And I think that's a big difference. The divisions in the, in the country, people, people are more angry than I've seen before. And, and they personalize policy differences a lot more when, I mean, when I was covering politics in the 1980s and 90s, I do think I mean, there was some personality politics, but but I do think that a lot more of it was uh, based on the policies. And in the end, the two parties could come together on a lot of issues and reach yeah. compromises. Today, I, I think it's I think that the, the, that the that the personality differences make policy mm -hmm. compromise much more difficult. Right. If you observe social media, of course, it's an echo chamber. It's also a, a production center of rumors. Uh, but at the same time, it's also a place where people voice uh, their emotions. So how is it uh, from your observation, Professor Huang? I think right now the fundamental issue is that the uh, United States as a society, as a nation state, is deeply, deeply divided. And this division is irresistible. I think the reason that when I went to the United States in mid-1980s, people that vote for uh, candidates' uh, policy preferences, this candidate for the right or from left, vote for union or capitalism and so on and so forth. At that time, they vote for what they want. That is the mm -hmm. conflict is over what we want. It's interest. But right now, people vote for the candidate's value. It's a pro-choice, a pro Choice is he, you know, uh, uh, for the same-sex marriage, about gun ownership and so on and so forth. So the vote for who we are. When we have a conflict over who we are, this conflict is highly um, cannot be compromised because mm. this is about the values. I think that's the problem of the United States. It's, we call it identity politics. But I say it is a deep division and differences of national identity. The two groups of Americans, both of them think the other side is a fake Americans. If they are in power, my America will be destroyed. So they kind of cannot stand each other. Mm. They cannot live on the same roof. That's a problem. When the nation state, when a state like United States, any state, any nation, mm. if there's a deep division among themselves, this is a big problem. Right. Well, I don't disagree with uh, Professor Wong. I think many of his points are solid, but I would I would look at it from a, a slightly different lens. Um, you know, we could go back in time and, and ask the question, when did the United States really begin to come apart at the seams? When did we really begin to see growing political dysfunction? We could debate that. Uh, I, I think 2008 is a good time. Uh, this is when we saw the, the move from uh, the young Bush uh, to uh, Obama. We remember that uh, the key word of Obama's campaign was hope. I think a lot of people have been suffering uh, for a long time. Middle class has been on, on a decline longer than since longer than 2008. Uh, and so, you know, I think there was this hope and, and, and dream that somehow Obama would turn the ship around and that didn't happen for a lot of people. And then a lot of people uh, uh, moved in the direction of uh, Trump. And, and some of them hoped that he would change uh, the status quo, that he would be a disruptor, if nothing else. And uh, that didn't happen either, for whatever reason. Um, yeah. And so I think the problem is that as we come into this election, I don't see a lot of hope with regard to either candidate. What I see is revenge or vindictiveness or anger or mm -hmm. fear. And that's, that's what's really driving this election and what I think is different from previous elections. And how will the candidates take advantage I mean, they are politicians and they want to win the election. The interest groups behind them also want to have the same result. How are they likely, their campaign at least, 
going to take advantage of what is there in the society, whether these emotions or the divisions or the sentimentalities. Uh, uh, how do you see they are taking advantage of this? What does that mean as an observer of the U.S. politics to you? Rick, shall I go with you once again? Well, I think Professor Mahoney has it just right on. And I think fear is the right word. I'm seeing it in the Trump campaign very effectively. The border is the first thing. You can see they are coming. We've lost control. The illegals. And that's, that's one. The Chinese are coming for us. Uh, it's them. They are coming. The cities, drugs all over, carjackings, they are coming for us. It's fear. And, and it's, it's effectively the them are coming at us. At the mm -hmm. same time, it is uh, the intellectuals, the elites are ruining our schools. They, they are teaching us that white people are guilty of, of slavery. People living today are guilty for, of the sins of the past. And it, it's a really interesting thing. I, and I'm, I'm watching it. And it's sophisticated in that it's not just one thing, but it's, it's using it in different audiences in different places. Further exploitation of the fear and the division inside the society by both campaigns this time, Professor Mahoney. How, what does that mean for whoever is going to be the president after November? Well, I think the, the, you know, there's a secondary issue here, and that is uh, we're also watching what's going to happen to Congress. And it looks like the Senate is very much uh, in play and, and has a stronger likelihood of going Republican. Um, the House uh, could go either way. But the, the point of the, uh, you know, if, if Trump is elected and then he has uh, two years of a, of a Republican Senate and a Republican House, um, then he can get a lot of things done, regardless of whether or not most people in the country like him or not. And uh, if Biden is reelected, but he's facing a solid uh, Republican Congress, he's going to get very little done. So I think the, the, the thing that, um, um, you know, it, it, if we're talking about uh, the extent to which uh, a divided, uh, polarized uh, society mm -hmm where everything is highly politicized and that uh, this right. increases government dysfunction, then absolutely. But uh, um, it, it, you know, it, it also depends on how Congress uh, swings. Of course. Professor Huang? I wor worry more uh, about uh, the, the, how the election uh, comes out. I think if, like, I wish that election would be a landslide for either of them. But if we have an even one or controversial one like 2020, we may have a big trouble because this election is driven by emotions, fear, frustration, even hatred. It's not by rationality. It's, uh, it's emotions. It's all of this. Uh, it's, mm. so you, you see anything from all around, from inside United mm. States, from outside United States. Everybody wants to play on that. And everybody strongly believes that my candidate is the one that can fix all those problems. The other candidate is the one that's going to make all those prob problems exploding mm. and hurting. So this kind of emotional driven election makes the outcome of election very, very critical for, for the stability and future of the United States. I do wish, again, let me repeat myself, it will come out as a landslide, as an uncontroversial one. But if a controversial one, if, especially for Donald Trump supporters, because those guys are heavily right. armed. And the only differences between them and the grandfather is that their great-grandfather is on the horseback with rifles, but now they're on the pickups, SUVs with much more powerful guns. And right. this is really, really 
uh, worrisome to me. Let's think about it from another uh, different angle. Now, many political scientists would argue what is going on inside one country's election has also a lot to do with the so-called outside environment that this country, this people is facing. The other way around as well, uh, the election process, the campaign policies are very much likely to link to what, they, what their perceptions are about what's going on outside their country. So here is some interesting facts. On the one hand, the U.S. economy is doing pretty well, one could argue. On the other hand, you also see a world that is uh, the dust is yet to be settled about what is the nature of the change of the world as we've seen over the past five to eight years. Where is China-U.S.? Uh, where is the U.S. Uh, in its relations with its allies? Uh, we see the sitting president and his, uh, pres his uh, office trying to make an effort uh, to uh, uh, work with China, at least to restart some of the interactions. How will these facts be further digested by the candidates' campaigns and taken advantage of? I think first and foremost, of course, uh, the, the entire world is so scared about Donald Trump being the president. So this guy is unprecedented. That's a problem. And he's a self-moniac with a big ego. But on Joe Biden, equally, is that everybody knows that he's getting old. Everybody knows he cannot be exposed to the public for more than one hour. If more than one hour, he's going to make something happen that people worry about. Just look at Blinken's eyes. Whenever President Biden is speaking, Blinken's so nervous, you can think about that. So this is a candidate nobody wants. That's a problem. That's an election. Americans and the public in the world, they're both saying that these two people should not be the candidate for the biggest, most powerful country, but it happens. So I think that the bottom line is, from a rationality's point of view, we still want a united, stable, and prosperous United States. Even China does that. Well, China wants a world that is good, a prosperous United States. Uh, and the United and stable, and the United States plays a re replaceable role in, in keep this world together. But if we have a big trouble, this election, uh, then then we have a, is a it will be very very bad for the entire world, including mm -hmm. United States and China. From that point of view, that's why we say this election is so critical because it's critical. It's not only because we have a two candidates presenting right. two forces that are deeply divided, but also because the the, the result of this this election could tell us whether the United States will still be the United States that we want. That's a big issue, of course. It seems that Professor Wang is saying outside the country, nobody actually is that fascinated by either of the candidates. And also at the same time, though, people hope that one of them will have good success in the election because that means stability of the United States uh, uh, to a certain extent. So, Professor Mahoney, your thoughts? Well, I think that there's there's some strange contradictions at work. On the one hand, presidents have almost unrestricted powers when it comes to foreign policy, and they exercise those powers in ways that uh, have Im immense uh, repercussions for the, or consequences for the rest of the world. They are much more limited in terms of domestic policymaking, but due to the dysfunction of Congress over the last couple of decades, they have become more and more reliant on uh, executive orders. And then when a new president is elected, the first thing he does that first day is revoke all of the executive orders of his predecessor that he doesn't like and put new ones in place. That's not an effective way of governing, but it, it does end up creating this 
uh, or it, 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 it's not effective in part because it ends up creating this, uh, you know, yin yang back and forth. The extent to which we could see significant disruption is very clear, but it's not very clear which way the candidates will really go. And I remain, I remain sort of negative. Uh, I know that that we were all optimistic and, and we sort of encountered a, a bit of a mini detente after the San Francisco meetings. But I don't yet really see a lot of traction. And I don't think we can have a lot of traction in a campaign year where there's so many uncertainties uh, anyway. I think the world is watching right now, watching the presidential race. I just uh, took a group of uh, Tsinghua students to Europe and we met with a NATO ambassador and she said she had come out that day from a meeting of NATO ambassadors and they were coming up with a plan in, in case uh, the U.S. election went to Trump. I mean, they, they're talking about what would happen? I, and we met with uh, a member of the, the European Parliament. They're trying to figure out what are they going to do with aid to Ukraine if Donald Trump is elected president. I think that every country, every bloc is trying to figure this out. China obviously has the same thing. You're trying to figure out what would happen. Things will be different. It's That's in terms of diplomacy, but in terms of economics, what would be the, the, the difference in economic policies in a Trump presidency. I think it's important not to wait until November um, to do that. And then the big picture, something you had, you had mentioned earlier um, that, that I find, the, this, the economic statistics in the US are exceptionally good, I mean, compared to uh, most previous elections, but the American people don't feel it and they vote on their feelings. And unless, unless people start feeling better about the future of the economy, I don't think it's good for the incumbent president. Unless people start feeling good about their their own families, uh, fa families' pocketbooks, about their families' futures in the next few months, I don't think that the economy is going to be a plus for Joe Joe Biden. Uh, and and that's that's always bad for the incumbent president. Now, my final question: There has been so much debates about how political parties are evolving in the U.S and the relationship between the political parties, the major two, of course, and their candidates. I want to have your thoughts on this, even though the current election is uh, current election campaigns are still going on. So I mean, the, the campaigns evolving, it's I mean, right now, I mean, so much more is being done through social media. I mean, so much so much there's so much less person to person contact. I mean, I do think there's still a lot of television ads. We're going to set, set records for for spending, and there will be a lot of negative ads. But I think the way that candidates connect with voters is going to be so much more targeted, micro-targeted through the technology that's a, that's available. And I also think mm. we're going to see more deep fakes and artificially generated, artificial intelligence generated fake messages with, with fake voices and even fake mm. images as November right. gets closer. Well, I think uh, you know, it was during the first Obama run that we really saw the, the new age of uh, technology, his campaign much more so than the, than the Republicans really used technology effectively. And of course, technology has, has advanced significantly since then. So I agree with Rick that that's a, a leading issue. The, the main point, though, I think, is that uh, it's become so polarized and the margins so slim that 
you really don't know what's going to happen. You could have a viral story or a viral issue. It could be due to a deep fake. It could be due to an FBI director saying something bad about a candidate, as he did with Hillary Trump right before the election, that could be uh, decisive in the uh, campaign. And so we're, we're at that point now where, where I think uh, as long as it's going to be close, and I think it will be close, that it will narrow with both sides. It could come down to some little strange issue, uh, an October surprise, uh, a September surprise uh, that, that proves decisive. I think there is a very radical polarization in the United States. Republicans have been deeply Trumpinized from Donald Trump's party. Whatever he said dominated the Republicans' agenda. That is very dangerous. On the other side, Democrats have been carried away by political correctness so far that people think the Democrats is a joke. It's other, other people's party. It's not my party. It's an elite party. has been so detached from the society. That's a problem for Democrats. As a result, both sides, both Republicans and Democrats, see the other side as an enemy, as a fundamental enemy. That's a problem. When you have a, a society as the United States so deeply divided, people stop trusting each other. They don't trust each other. The fundamental glue for the society, that is a trust, is disappearing because of this polarization. That's, I think, this election, this presidential race will show that. I think that's All a right. fundamental problem in the United States. We look at the election, but what we look, really look at is a nation state so great, so powerful, that's been more and more divided, more and more distrustful. Huang Jing, Joseph Gregory Mahoney, and Rick Dunham. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for joining us. And that's all the time we have for today. I'm Tian Wei on behalf of the team. Thanks for being with us.